Um, you know, over the holidays, I love um, seeing a lot of my close friends come home from overseas and uh, different areas to visit their family, and we all get to together. But I also think about the ways in which we all revert back to like our high school selves. For me, that was like tw- almost 20 years ago. And, um, you know, we play the same games and do the same thing. So that's kind of my opening question today. If you Do you guys have friends that you get together with from like elementary school or junior high, and all of a sudden you find yourself telling jokes that are like, like 15 years old, you know, or rewatching movies or playing Risk again, uh, even and dusting off th- those board games. And so I just wanted you guys to get into groups of twos and threes, share a little bit about that, and then I'll come up and, and we'll look into our passage this morning. So this is uh, me and my close friend Ernest. I think we're at like uh, high school, college. Man, I told you gangsters were in in the 90s, right? Tupac, Biggie. So I go to school with like my uh, undershirt and a chain and it was, and try to be Christian at the same time. Ernest, Ernest was not the best uh, high schooler, but became a Christian, uh, gave his life to Jesus. And uh, we grew up together. We were friends from uh, when we were born, really. We were raised at the same church. This is us dividing up the world, and we left Madagascar to our friend. He's, he's siloed, but, you know, we didn't wipe him out, so we were very gracious to him. Uh, slide before that. So these are all the friends I grew up with. We all have kids. Uh, we're all married. But when we hang out, like, over uh, Thanksgiving or Christmas, we always play Call of Duty zombie mode. It's just like, that's just what we do, because uh, that's what we did in college, so we do that now. But, we, but you know, we have real careers. <laughs> Ernest is actually Ben's brother-in-law. He's, he graduated law school. He's uh, um, in the police academy, becoming a detective. Um, Garland is, um, is, uh, works for Speedo as a project manager. Um, Brian manages a warehouse. Caleb's actually pretty well known in the Apple world. So he manages the largest retail store in the world in Hong Kong, Hong Kong's Apple. He's like second or third in command there. And he actually started out at Brea being a cashier. So I'll go in to Brea and talk to people and I need my laptop fixed. And I'll be like, hey, were you here when Caleb was here? And they're like, yeah, Caleb was a great manager. He's doing big things. I'm like, we're best friends. I stood as a groomsman to his wedding and vice versa, and I need this fixed today. <laughs> and uh, did I tell you me and Kilo are best friends? And so, um, but what's crazy is like, there's this really f- strong familiarity when I'm with them, right? Because we just have stories that span 25 years. We watched each other pick up sports. We played ball together, played video games. We spent countless nights sleeping over at each other's homes. I remember when they all started dating. I was like the, I liked girls the earliest. I'd say like fifth grade, give or take. And then, um, but I got, I got a girlfriend the latest and it was the worst. It was the worst watching all of them get girlfriends. And then they'll, they'll go on double dates and triple dates. I'll be alone at home. Um, we all served at the same church together. So we just have stories forever and will forever be, no matter how, you know, big Caleb is in the af- Apple world, he'll always just be Caleb. He'll be the guy that, you know, I went to his house. He had much more money than I did. I would sneak into his 
uh, pantry, and I would load my pockets with almond rocas. Like, like I'd walk out, and my pockets were like this big, because he could buy almond rocas, and I couldn't. And so I'm just like loading my clothes with food. And one day I walked out, and, like I was like trailing almond rocas everywhere I went into, from the house. And that's how we remember each other. These really fond memories. Uh, me and Ernest, I think we were like really small elementary kid students. He had this bouncy ball, and I hit it really hard on the ground, and it went to a roof, and he got really mad at me. And at the time, we were the same height, and he was like, hey, you better buy me another bouncy ball, or I'm going to beat you up. And then the next day, I gave him a bouncy ball. Uh, and, then, and then we became close friends, and then he became my best man. And then I think, like, again, we all kind of progress through life. Most of us have our master's degrees, and, and, um, and there's this disconnect between Ap- uh, Caleb and the Apple world, you know, Ernest doing what he's doing in law and for the county, and me as a pastor, and how people see us in our professions, or just see us because they met us later in life than how we see each other, right? So in the crew and Epic world, you know, I got to uh, meet with the national staff of Epic. They invited me to a three-day retreat, and we vision cast for the next uh, three to five years for where Epic was going to go, and they asked me to come in as a consultant. I was flown to uh, San Francisco to help consult that team. And me and Gabe Francis, we sat with the president of Epic and other national leaders reshaping Orange in LA, LA County. In the church planting world, I spoke at a bunch of um, uh, guests lectured for Talbot and in the church planting class multiple years. And then now some church planters, they know who I am. You know, Renew has done really well. If you didn't know that, it's done excellently as a church plant. And then um, I'll, I'll consult them on their churches as they're looking to launch, as they're uh, fundraising, as they're thinking about marketing strategies. And so that the way that they see me and perceive me is just so different than my friends. I have that view from them, from students that I, I go to their crew in Epic and do my 10 best sermons, and I, and I speak at their retreats. They see me in a specific way, and then when I'm with my friends, they see me in a totally different way, right? I pick my nose, you know, I eat their food, I sleep on their floor to this day. Uh, one time, though, we were all at a men's retreat for a church that they go to, and I gave my best five sermons, you know, and everyone loved it. And then we were at the campfire. And then all of a sudden, each one of them is just roasting me, right? It was like we spent the entire two hours uh, hearing them roast me from childhood through junior high through high school. But it's just, it's just the world that we live in as we grow older but go back to our hometown. When I think about Jesus, this is the part of the narrative he's in. On the next slide, we remember that Matthew is broken up for, from uh, six narratives and five discourses. So he teaches five different sets of sermons on different topics. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, on his kingdom ethics. He gives a sermon on what it looks like to be missionaries, um, being ambassadors for his kingdom. His last sermon series was on the secrets of the kingdom of God, how it's going to expand and and uh, take over. And then there's these, this, there's these narratives, kind of these stories of Jesus' life. 
And that's broken up in between the discourses. So we have his birth and all these prophecies that he's fulfilling to be Israel's Messiah. And then we have narratives about his powerful deeds, how he healed the woman who was bleeding, how he healed the centurion servant. And then we have opposition to the Messiah, these the religious establishment questioning him. And then now we're moving to the next narrative where Jesus starts revealing even greater his identity as the Messiah, him as God. He's doing things that people haven't seen in the last many years, right? And, and he's saying, I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a healer, which is kind of commonplace. I'm God. And he starts taking control over nature and calms the storm. He multiplies food, showing that in his kingdom, there's no poverty. But as we enter into this narrative, we enter from this really interesting position, Jesus in his hometown. So we look at this next slide. As he reveals his identity, where does he start? Next slide. Jesus had finished these parables. That's how he ends, Matthew ends all of his discourses with that phrase, when Jesus had finished teaching, when Jesus had finished his parables. He moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. And we think about why Jesus goes back to his hometown, and I feel like it's because he's always living in this tension of fulfilling his mission and um, his task on earth, and yet he lived in tension with his family obligations. And we see this throughout the course of his life. Jesus is sitting at the age of 12, they journey into Jerusalem, to do the Jewish festivals. And Jesus sits at the temple and he stays there. And his parents get really worried and they come back for him and they're kind of scolding him. And Jesus says, didn't you know I would be at my father's house? And yet he goes back with his parents. Or we think about Jesus at, at the wedding where Mary's probably trying to send him on an errand to buy, to buy wine. Like we've run out of wine. And then Jesus is like, why are you bothering me with this? But then we see him turn water into wine. And again, Jesus doesn't let Mary and his brothers detract him from ministry, right? When they're trying to bring him home because they they thought he might have gone crazy or they were scared for him for persecution from the religious uh, leaders, Jesus said, who is my mother and my brother and my sisters, those who do the will of God? So he doesn't even really dialogue with his parents, but then or his mother, but then after the discourse, he goes home. Some of us live in that tension where we follow, follow Jesus, and we don't want anything to deter us from the mission and the purpose he's given us in our lives, and yet we live in t- tension with um, our parents, with other demands from our family or from um, our work. And it's comforting to me that Jesus lived in this tension as well. Now, remember, he's going back to his hometown. He began teaching to the people in their synagogues, and they were amazed. So they knew that something was different in the way that he teaches. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did he get all these things and they took offense at him? So when he goes into the synagogue, they don't deny that his teaching is brilliant 
or that he had done miraculous works, maybe in his hometown, but primarily through the stories that they've heard. But then all of a sudden, they revert back in this, into this familiar view of Jesus, right? Just because they grew up with him, just like my friends grew up with me. They, they are sitting in the same synagogue that they were running around in as kids and their parents were yelling at them. This is a place of worship. Go run outside. And Jesus is one of the kids that the parents are yelling at probably, right? Or they saw Jesus skin his knee. They watched him pick up an ax for the first time to chop down a tree and try to build a table and it looked terrible. And so these are the same friends that grew up with Jesus. That saw him pick his nose. That saw him skin a knee that grew up with his brothers and knew them by name, that married his sister, and they were familiar with him. He was just Jesus. And then it says that they took offense at him. There's a few Greek words that's translated into this English, English word offense, right? Some words, some Greek words have a connotation of sin, but this one doesn't. This one is speaking about kind of a stumbling block or maybe uh, the idea that, there's this border or boundary in which they can't cross. That somehow their familiarity with Jesus made them unable to cross into a belief of him as Savior, as Messiah, as God. They had boxed him in. And I wonder in our Christian faith, for those of us who have known God for a long time, who grew up at church, who've read all the Bible stories, has Christianity become too familiar? Has Jesus become too familiar? When we hear that God loves us, is it just a phrase we kind of roll our eyes at? It doesn't astound us anymore. It's, it's, we've heard it a hundred times. When we hear the word gospel, when we take communion, when we reflect on the cross, it kind of, it's kind of like, yeah, I knew that. Jesus died for me. And it's familiar and it loses a sense of awe and wonderment. And, and it creates this boundary in which we're not surprised by God anymore. We don't let him grow beyond what we're comfortable with. It's nice to be comfortable. It's nice to feel like you have your arms around a person, right? Like I have my arms around Caleb and Ernest. And, and, and when they exceed in life, when they excel beyond what I could imagine for them, I kind of want to just play Call of Duties and shoot uh, zombies. I kind of want to just raid your uh, pantry and take amenrokas and steal them. I kind of want to just do those things that are familiar. God wants to break out of what's familiar in your life, but do you just kind of try to box them in sometime and say, wait, that's scary. Uh, That's not who I thought you would be. Let's go back to praying the same prayers about small things. Let's go back to reading the same passages that I feel like I know already. Let's go back to doing the same Christian routines, but kind of mindlessly, without expectation. You know, I, I try to stop and allow his love for me to, be, to blow my mind again. You know, I, because I think I think there has to be a disconnect when I don't pray with focus and intention. There has to be a disconnect because when God spoke, the whole universe was created. When he spoke, continents split and oceans filled in the gap 
And then he's listening for our voice and our whispers. And we kind of skip talking to him for days. There has to be some obstacle and boundary between who he is and how I've grown familiar with him. Right? When, when God says that the heavens and earth, this whole earth is less stable and reliable than the words of the prophets and the law and the writings. That's what Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away before this like Jewish dot on the eye will pass away. You could rely on God's words more than, than the ground you're sitting on. That it's eternal, it's trustworthy, it's true, more than the ground you're sitting on. Something must be disconnected. There must be something too familiar. There must be a box set up for me to still neglect reading and knowing God's word. Taking it seriously. Being attentive to it. Allowing it to shape my life. I wonder in which ways, when we think about Jesus, and his, word, his name just rolls off our tongue too casually. When we think about God and we feel like we could get our arms around him, how he's become too familiar and how that's caused us not to go any further in our relationship with him. How he's not doing anything surprising because we boxed him in. And that's how the story ends. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home, right? Everywhere else he goes, people are following him. People are falling at his feet. People are reaching out, trying to touch the edge of his robe so that they could be healed. And now his friends and family just gather casually because he's just hometown Jesus. And then, he says, and then in verse 58, and he, did not, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. I wonder if we've stopped seeing God's hand in our life, if we stopped going on adventures with him, if, if we're not surprised anymore, not because he doesn't want to work, not because he doesn't want to hold our hand and have us accomplish things that we've never imagined for ourselves, not because he doesn't want to be closer than we thought he ever could, but because of us, because we have seen him too small, because we are praying these really small prayers. I think about how, how insulting maybe some of my prayers are to God, right? Because he created the universe. When the Big Bang happened, he created very specific laws for which our universe can be governed, so things aren't falling apart, so that atoms are sticking together in a really precise way. And this God, I'm asking for really small things, minuscule things, things that really I could accomplish. What does it look like to pray to a God that is as big as we claim him to be for our lives and for the lives of others? You know, even as I've been praying for um, the people coming up in their caravan, these kids, these, these husbands and fathers and mothers, I'm asking myself, when I pray for this kid, do I believe that in this moment God will work? When I'm asking for her safety, 
when I'm asking that it wouldn't just be her father carrying her through a river, but that God's arms would be around them too. Do I believe that God is holding them? When we're asking for safety, do we believe God is stopping people from taking advantage of them? That God is working in and through our prayers? Or is it something that we're like, ah, Wilson said to pray, so I'll just kind of throw out some generic phrases and not really think God is powerful and moving and capable. Maybe the greatest disappointments we'll have in heaven as we look back on our life is the smallness of our prayer because of how small we've made God out to be. Because we want him familiar. We want to contain him in these boundaries. And we're not allowing him to break free in our life. I wanted us to do this simple sermon because this is the one point I have. I don't know if I could give it to you in 14 more ways. So I decided to spend the rest of our time in reflection and in prayer. So how has Jesus become too familiar to you? That when you think about what it means for God to love you, has that found boundaries? When you think about the cross, the gospel, the word of God, what has, has there been aspects of our Christian life because we grew up in it, because we've done it a hundred times, because we've already opened up the Bible that's been too familiar? But then also, how, when was the last time you experienced God in a surprising way? I hope that we would share stories that would erupt our faith a little bit. And in what aspects of your life do you want to see Jesus? And then I would love for us to pray for each other. You know, there's been a few, um, maybe out of all of you, I struggle with this the most. God being too familiar. I spent four and a half years just reading the Bible and reading like thousands of pages about the Bible. It's easy to open it up and feel like I've preached this. I've heard five sermons on this. I read three commentaries on this um, to pray and feel caught in the same cycles. And so I've challenged myself to break out of the familiar. Um, There's a few things that have helped me. One is that I read parts of the Bible that I've never read before or that I'm unfamiliar with. You know, a lot of my time has been spent in the prophecies because about Jesus because there's something really amazing to me that a prophet would see time, again, as a singularity. Their moment, the moment of Christ, the everlasting kingdom, that I think they have God's view of time and it's kind of pushed together. And these moments are supposed to inter- interlace. Through thousands of years, they're interlaced. And And what God's saying is that what you see in front of you is a foreshadow of Jesus establishing his kingdom, is a foreshadow of this eternal kingdom. They're all pushed together. And I've been mind blown by that. Another way that I've wanted to experience more of the Lord is I try to find him in spaces in my life that I've never found him before. Um, And and hearing his voice as I walk through the day, just kind of inviting him into the process of my day saying, God, I'm meeting with this person. Is there anything you have for me to share with them? Or is there anything on your heart for this person? Or I'm playing this video game. God, I hope that you, we could enjoy this together. And then maybe the part that I love most, and I've shared about this often as I preach, is that I'll play volleyball 
and establish relationships with people who don't know Jesus. And some of them grew up atheists and have really no concept of who God is. And as I've become friends with them and build credibility, we'll sit together, uh, we'll have brunch or coffee, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell them, hey, I would love to grab coffee with you because I, I really want you to hear about my faith as a Christian and hear about this God who loves you. And again, I grew up at church, right? And so I've kind of always believed God to be there. Even in elementary school, I, I believed that God was close and loved me and, and cared about my life. But then I think about someone who didn't grow up that way, you know, and, and maybe never believed God existed, or if he did, didn't care about them. And I imagine, like, um, what I imagine is these storylines, maybe comic books or superhero stories, where someone's living this really normal life. You know, uh, Dave brought up Neil from The Matrix, right? Just kind of in his cubicle, doing his thing, you know, filing taxes, uh, living by himself. And all of a sudden, his life is interrupted by another reality. You know, um, like Gandalf, right? And Frodo. His life is inter- interrupted. And, and to open a person's world and say, um, your life is not the way it seems. There's a God who cares about you. And wants to weave your story into his. He created you with precision and purpose. Your ethnicity, your gender, um, where you're placed in time and space so that you can find him. And I enter into people's lives with this belief that I want them to believe. I'm, I want to be your spiritual guide. I want you to, I want this like mystical kind of cloud to come over, breaking into clarity. And I want to journey with them into this God who loves them and helps, helps them to discover it. I want to hold their hand to say that um, there's an eternal life in which you could spend with him. There's a God who's seeking you and he's doing it through me. And then I'll try to help them like experiment and say, hey, are, are you having a hard time sleeping? What if you just try talking to this God and say, hey, God, as you're struggling with sleep, say, hey, God, I just, I don't know if you're real. Jesus, I don't know if you're, you're out there. This guy, Wilson, he's a pastor. He says you're real. And um, could you help me just fall asleep today? I want them, their world and their eyes to be open. But as I do this with them, it's for me too. Because I relive these moments where I haven't heard Jesus love me a hundred times on t-shirts and flyers, but I'm discovering his love for the first time through their eyes. That there's a God who's real and who wants to reach out to them through this random volleyball player and is trying to open them up to this world. I hope that you would find ways, especially you who have been Christian for a long time, who are PKs, who have read the Bible a few times through Bible in a year, that you would find God this week to be unfamiliar and that you would desire him to be. So I'm going to close us in prayer. We have a good amount of time. I would love for you to go back into those groups that you shared that question with and to just kind of walk through and have some conversation. That's a big value we have at the church, that it wouldn't just be about the stage, 
but it would be about you sharing stories and praying for each other. I actually think that that's the most powerful part of our service, that we get to process and think and pray together. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I would love to give you guys some time to do that, and then I'll, I'll bring us into a time of communion. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us, but also for how big you are. And we want to break away from the familiar. We want to break away at times from casual Jesus with a t-shirt and a coffee that we could walk up and hug. We like him. We want to know him too, but there's this other Jesus sitting on a throne with all the nations bowed down and creator of the universe who wants to be Lord of our lives. And we we need that Jesus as well. God, I pray that as a church and especially as individuals experiencing your spirit, that you would show us the way in which we've become complacent and familiar and have kind of taken who you are for granted and other ways in which this week you want to reveal yourself as we're looking for more that you would surprise us with your voice showing up in parts of our lives that we wouldn't expect, being more powerful than we could ever imagine. I pray, Lord, that from our, our space of praying and sharing, you would bring us into this week so that we expect so much more of you to move and to be present in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just spend five minutes talking and praying for each other.